Now, I'm pleased to let you know today that we are starting a brand new series. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. This is just a four-part series. At times, our series goes, go up to eight or nine parts, according to as, as the Lord leads. But this is just for four sessions this month. We will be looking at the series, Enjoying Restful Increase by Love. Enjoying Restful Increase by Love. And uh, that will be our banner for the month. And uh, we will be looking at four themes. God, loving God, loving, somebody say with me, loving God. Loving say loving spouses. Say it again, loving spouses, loving saints, and then loving our neighbors. We'll be looking at these different uh, captions by the grace of God throughout this month, and I believe that God will be speaking to us. Whatever you do, don't miss any session, and particularly don't miss the last session. The last session of this series will be a very special service. We've never had it in the history of this church. It will be our relate. We have a, every, every year, February, we have a special relationship gathering called the Relate. And uh, this year, it will be a special service that we'll be having together on the last Sunday of the month on Loving Neighbors. We're going to have some time to share, and we're going to have some time for question and answer. Do you like that? Let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Hallelujah. So please come. We will be talking more about it as the weeks progress. But... You see, relational matters are key. Many times in the body of Christ, we tend to just take them and trivialize them and just assume that everybody should just get on with it. But the reality is that there are many people suffering unnecessarily, suffering relational matters in their marriages, suffering relational matters in their workplaces, suffering relational matters in their families, extended families, and even with their communities, with neighbors and so on, and people they deal with on a regular basis. So... The essence of this series is to give us a firm grounding again from the Word of God. But we're going to start from the most important relationship that God expects of us. This is loving Him. He Himself who has given us life has called us to love Him. And so we start on this series today and um, because we are commanded by God, for us to be able to enjoy this restful increase, we are commanded by God. Those of you listening on pod, to the podcasts or messages on, on YouTube, we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. As a matter of fact, you can read the entire chapter. But just for context today, we read verse 1 to verse 15. And verse 1 to 15, we read how God commanded the children of Israel that they must serve the Lord their God, that he was taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Somebody say a land of rest. He was taking them to a land where they, 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 they would inherit houses they, would, they did not build. Somebody say a land of rest. You see, rest in God's eyes is not what we think. Rest simply means that you are enjoying things that you know that your power could not have delivered to you. Somebody like King Solomon came and inherited the kingdom. He didn't fight one. He didn't lift one sword one day to inherit. That's an example of a man who just walked into rest. And that's why he had time to marry 1,000 wives or whatever it is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because he just came into rest. We must understand that the, the, the rest of God is not for us to behave like that, but for us to understand that God is interested. This is why it, it grieves his heart when his children are pursuing the things that he has already said will be their portion, instead of pursuing what he said they should do. He said, all I need from you is to love me, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He said, that's all I need from you. 
And Jesus came later on. He said, you know, just seek first this kingdom. Go after this kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. So we want to reflect on loving God today, which is our theme for today, loving God. And by the grace of God, we will take some time to look at what God is desiring us to know for this time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as I said, we'll quickly go through verse 1 to 5 again. The Bible says, now this is, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, which you are crossing over to inherit. You see, every journey of the faith takes us from glory to glory. And what God says to us in warning is that when you get to the next level of glory, you must keep remembering. You see, many times, a lot of people pursue God. A lot of people are in active pursuit and in desire to serve God. And uh, in, their back, in the back of their mind, they are also seeking promotion. Everybody likes to be promoted. There's nobody in this life that likes to remain at the same level. Nobody. That's why your children at age five, they'll take your shoes and wear them. Because they want to wear those size one day. The, the one you bought for them is there. It fits them very well. But they will put their feet in your own because they have imagined themselves that one day they will wear that as well. <laughs> have you noticed that? Everybody just doesn't like where they are. Everybody wants to go on. Everybody wants to increase. So it's not a bad thing, but God always warns that as for increase, as for making progress, you will. I will help you. I will make you inherit that land of promise. However... I must let you know that I need to warn you that when you, you, when you come to that land, you must observe the things I'm saying and do them. Verse 2. He said that you may observe them. Verse 2. Thank you. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life, that your days may be what? Prolonged. That your days may be prolonged. Now, I want you to understand something about longevity. I have been studying the word longevity for some time, but in the last few weeks, I looked at it more critically. And I find that the body of Christ, we have, mis we have misunderstood what longevity is. We look at longevity in the context of time alone, which is true. I mean, if somebody lives long to be 100 years, my grandfather was approximately 110 years old. <laughs> I say approximately because we don't know his age, no birth certificate, nothing. We had to interview him many, many times in the 90s to try and understand. Did you know the First World War? Did you, were you, how old do you think you were? <laughs> and you say, I remember everything very well. They was okay, you must be 110 years old. <laughs> That's how we buried him with that age where he eventually passed on. Hallelujah. So it could be that long. And somebody like him, thank God for him, he lived his life, his latter years, the last 70 years of his life, serving God, planting churches all over the southern part of Nigeria before he retired finally. And uh, we thank God for such a life. But you see, longevity in God's eyes is not so much about length of time, but degree of impact in time. Degree of impact in time. So when you claim God's promises and you are praying for longevity, understand this. Now, I am praying that everyone will live out their lives, that no one will be taken before their time. But you see, when I look at lives that have made impact in this world, not all of them had long range. Praise the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr., I've told you about him a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you about him again today. He died at age 39. 39. He was, he was not even 40 years old yet. He should have been 90, 91 years old this year, isn't it? Yeah, he was born 1929, so he should have been 91 years old this year. Now, are we still talking about him or not? 
Are we, is the world still talking about MLKJ or not? We are, we are. We are still talking about Martin Luther King Jr. because that is a longevity in itself. That is a longevity of impact. Nelson Mandela died at 93. I'm just giving some examples. Nelson Mandela died at 93, physical 93. We are still talking about him as well. But in terms of the two, is there any difference in terms of the impact that they made with their lives if you are to assess? No difference. The world understood that these people stood in, I'm just comparing civil, civil rights now and those kind of things. These people stood for what they believe, they trusted that God sent them to do this. Martin Luther King Jr. was actually a Reverend Baptist minister and he, he was ministering and was carrying on this passion alongside of it. So longevity, we talk about Methuselah, 969 years old. That is all we talk about him. No story to say this is he, to, that he grew one tree in his house. Nobody even, but he lived for 969 years old. Moses lived only 120 years. Probably about the same age with David, King David as well. 100, just barely about 100 years. These men, we still talk about them and talk about their impact today. We need to understand. So when we pray and we are trusting God for longevity, let us understand the context of God. It is about impact. If God says a person will live 25 years and make an impact, and we don't have to make a global scale impact like these men that I've quoted. But the reality is that in your life, in your family, your vicinity, everyone around you must feel your impact for the time for which you were there. Praise the Lord. And I pray that as we embrace these things, God will teach us better. Because I've been in churches that's, that people pray and say, Lord, I shall not die, but I shall live to declare the goodness of God. Which is true. That's the Bible. But it's not just so much of you not dying. What are you doing now with the life? What is your world hearing about you? How much of the kingdom is flowing through your life to others today? That is longevity. Praise the Lord. Verse 3, the Bible says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be what well with you, that you may multiply greatly. Somebody say, restful increase. That you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. A land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Let's go together. Let's read it loud and clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Verse 5. You shall, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the commandment of God. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The commandment is to love by God is not a demand on what God has not given us. God loved us first, and that is why he's asking us to love him back. Check the entire scriptures. God has never asked from a person what he has not given them. With last week we were making emphasis, was it last week, yeah? We were making emphasis on Abraham and his only son. God didn't ask for Isaac until Isaac was born. God didn't ask for him. God did not tell him when he was giving birth to, to, to Ishmael or when he was considering Eliezer. God did not tell him that I will give you one and then I will ask for it. No, 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 he gave him first. God did not ask Esther to intervene for the Jews until she became queen. That's why Mordecai said to her, peradventure, God brought you to the, to the kingdom for the purpose of a time such as this. God will always, when you are afraid to give 
God, what God back, what he has given you, it shows ignorance. You did not have it in the first instance. You did not. He said, give your life to Jesus. Did you, did you create yourself? <laughs> he didn't, you didn't create yourself. He gave you life and he now said, now give it back to me. So when we struggle, it's because we do not understand. This is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. Everyone giving something, everyone God is asking from, from them something, God has already given it to them and in abundance so that they can give back to him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. So when God is saying, you shall love the Lord your God, we must understand that he has already loved us first. That's why he's asking us to love him. Let's read verse 17 together. Go, one, two, go. Love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. We are created in his image, so that is what he says. Verse 18, now let's go together. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We know that God is love. First John chapter 4 verse 8 tells us, for God is love, for God is love. So we have not yet been perfected in God. That is why we are afraid. We are afraid to give. Many people are afraid to love God. Now, these words don't come out of the lips of people. It is by actions. The Bible says by their fruits you shall know them. It is by their actions. So when I meet you, uh, and, I'm in, and I'm in a function, and you come to me and you say, Oh, God bless you, Brother Dave. My name is Archbishop, Bishop, Right Reverend, Wrong Reverend. Okay, no wrong Reverend. Okay. <laughs> and you now give me all those titles and your name. Thank you very much, but I'm looking for fruits. That is the next thing I'm looking for. I will identify with you immediately by reason of your titles, but the next thing that will validate all those long titles you gave me is fruits. I'll listen to how you talk. I'll listen to how you are relating with people. Before I can know that, yes, you have the same spirit of God that I believe I've got in me. Hallelujah. This is not to be judgmental. This is not to be looking out for things. But I'm only saying that it is clear that the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. John said, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If we are made perfect in love, if we have given our life to Jesus Christ genuinely and sincerely and we have a relationship with God, then we will know that there is nothing to fear. We will never be afraid to serve God anymore in Jesus' name. Verse 19, it said, we love him because he first loved us. Can you see that? We love him because he first loved us, past tense. We love, present, continuous, because he Loved first, past tense. He did it first. He did it first. So when he's asking us to love him with all our strength, with all our mind, with all our soul, what he's saying is that just give back to me from the things that I've given you. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been, past tense, has been, not will be, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Past tense. Things that Christ has done is to ratify and enforce the love of God poured in our heart. God never asked for anything that he has not given. Check scriptures again and again and again. Never will God place a demand on your time if he hasn't given you time. Stop saying I have no time. 
Never will God say, give me your money if he has not given you money. Stop saying I have no money. God will give you the thing, then he can place a demand for it. The boat that he asked from Peter was provided by him. That is why he could, he could look at Peter and say, give me your boat so that I can preach from it. Never let us hold back on anything that we have. Because we love him because he first loved us. And the Bible says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came, he now explained how all this works. Because we can say, oh, well, Pastor Dave, that was Old Testament. Moses speaking to the people and blah, blah, blah. Jesus came and repeated the same words so that we can understand that his coming did not erode the fact that we should still love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, let's go together. I'm reading verse 36. Jesus said to him, verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37 now. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your mind. You can see the same words repeated by Jesus. Your word mind replaced strength. In the Old Testament, God said strength. And this one was replaced with mind. And what you will find in the scripture is the word heart, spirit, mind, strength, soul. Are used interchangeably many times. But until you read the context of the, 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 that they're being used, then you will understand which one is referring to the tripartite nature of man. At times, the word heart could mean your mind, and at times it could mean your spirit in scripture. So you need to have the understanding of what it is. But when Jesus came and reinforced it and said, with your heart, it refers to your spirit man. With your soul, it refers to your soul, your soulish man. And then with your mind and strength, as it was used in the Old Testament, it refers to everything about your physical being. Because the actions of man starts from the mind. If you are going to touch something, if you are going to carry this thing, your mind would have processed it. Whether you are conscious or not, it processes it. And then you do it. How many of you have driven for about five minutes and then suddenly realized that you were not thinking about the driving you were doing and you have made many turns and stopped at places? And <laughs> because your mind has been programmed to keep doing it even when it's still thinking about other things. I'm not asking you to be doing that. Make sure you are concentrating when you are driving. But the mind of man is so strong, it can control the body. It can do five things at a time. It can do five things at a time. At times, I have my iPad open, my computer open, my phone open, three different things happening on them. Conference call on phone, iPad doing something else, computer programming something else. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the mind will still flow. And the people at the other end think I'm doing only one thing. Praise the Lord. The mind of man is strong, very strong. The day I, I, I first used a, a hands-free phone on a car, in a car, I can't remember, many years ago now, I said, wow, this is a beauty. Now I can even run my business in the car. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because your calls can come through. You can just be talking for one hour and be doing serious matters, serious meetings with people in Australia, wherever, Nigeria, anywhere. Because the mind of man is so strong. Jesus said, with all your mind with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And notice the words with all, with all, with all. Because there is a tendency to give part. There is a tendency to, to, try to, to try to negotiate some things with God. You don't negotiate with him. Let him take all. Then let him give back to you the things that you should do. Say, Lord, everything I have, I give it to you. Everything I am, I give it to you. Then he starts to release back to you what you should have. When you live like this, you never live in the deficit of the love of God. And I'm going to show you very quickly how loving God in these three ways will give us benefits to this restful increase that we're talking about. So this demand, if you look at it very well, is placed on the tripartite nature of man. We all know that man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. We all know this. But God said, I am asking you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Of course, verse 38 goes on to say, and the second is like unto it. This is the first and great commandment. Verse 39 says, and the second, on these two commandments, verse 39, now verse 39. He said, and the second is like it, your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what is going to cover our next three series, three topics, loving our neighbor, loving people, basically, loving others. And so I want to encourage us this morning. That by the grace of God, the demand to love God is not a demand on anything God has not done for us. He loved us first. When the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ, the Bible says greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, for you and I. That's why we're here today. That's why we can pray to God. No one comes to the Father except by him. And now God says, I have given my son. I have laid down my life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And now he says, all I'm asking is you just love me back. And the world is cursing. The world is refusing. The world is abrogating things to themselves, saying that they emerged from apes and animals. That's a very funny story about a man and his wife. A little girl goes up to the father and says, Dad, where did we come from? The girl was just about three years old, two, three years old, just learning to talk. Where did we come from as humans? And the father began the story of evolution. Say, so you see, and this and then, and then suddenly we stopped changing. We changed from monkeys and then they became. I said, that's how it is. And then the, lady, the, the young girl says, wow. And then the mother goes to the mother the next day and says, mom, where did we come from? Dad, dad explained some things to me, but I want to hear from you. And then the woman gave her the story of the Bible. God created man in his own image. And this is after his likeness. He said, but I'm confused, mom, because dad said we came from animals and uh, you're saying God created us like this. He said, the, the woman told the, the little girl, he said, you know something? Your father explains the side of his own family. <laughs> I'm telling you my own. <laughs> that is his own family that came from there. They must have argued and argued, so the woman is tired. So, so she decided to come up with this answer once and for all. I pray nobody has come from that side of the family here. <laughs> Hallelujah. But this, this magnanimous God gave us his all. He called it his only begotten son. So that we don't even, you know, like last time he said, we read last week, he said, give me your son, your only son whom you love. God likes emphasis. And I always tell you, the emphasis of scripture are important. For God so loved the world, not that he just gave his son. He gave his what? Only 
begotten son. Only begotten son. That whosoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. So this is a demand on our tripartite nature. The first one, loving God with our heart. This is where the journey starts. This talks about the new birth. The Bible makes us to understand we become the righteousness of God in Christ. We love God with our heart by becoming born again. This is the first demand. That's why in the Old Testament it says you shall love the Lord your God with your heart first. Which talks about your spirit man. And then Jesus came again and said, and you shall love the Lord your God with your heart. Very important. Revelation 3.20 said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. It's talking about your spirit man. I want to take over your spirit man, which you are. And I want to make it recreated in me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the spirit of man, the Bible makes us to understand in Proverbs 20, 27, that it is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Proverbs 20, 27. Is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart? So, this is what God uses our relationship with God as recreated beings, people born again, people who are coming to Him to be regenerated and to enjoy the, the fullness of the abundant life. We establish a relationship with Him. So this is where it all starts. When we love the Lord our God by becoming born again, then we become entitled to all the inheritance of the kingdom. We become entitled to the relationships that matter in the kingdom. Because no one can take such an honor to themselves. We must understand when we come, we come with our hearts. So God is first demanding that our hearts be born again. And it doesn't end there. Our new birth must continue to be such that we are hinging it on the love of God on a daily basis. A Christian who does not pray for two days, three days, four days, one week, and feels nothing about it should go and check their salvation again. You should check it. Just be sure you are born again. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong in being born again, 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 if you have to. Just to be sure. Believe me, there's nothing. If you are not sure, just do it again. Until you get counseling to be sure. <laughs> they say, if you die now, are you going to heaven? You say, maybe, actually, uh, 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 <laughs> it's not like that. There's no story like maybe, actually, uh, those days, uh, uh, you are either now or you are not. So, and it takes a conviction of the Holy Spirit. The new birth is the first thing that we must do to love God with all our heart. I want us to know, friends, God is looking for those to, re to, to recruit into the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 17 to 22, we quote it a lot. We're not reading it now. He said, now, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. And God is calling us into the ministry of reconciliation, bringing others back to him. The desire of God is that everyone he created in this world will be saved. That is his desire. But we must understand that he is not going to come down and start saving people. What he does is that he is reaching out 
by the love of God, as you hear messages, read the word, get evangelized by others, get saved, we also get recruited into that army. And then we start to demonstrate our love. Evangelism and reaching out to our neighbors with the message of the cross and with the gospel is not a show off. It's not, a, 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 it's not an activity to fill time. It is part of our demonstration of the love of God. Saying that we love our Father who gave his only begotten Son. That through him we are saved today and we want others to be saved as well. And I pray that God will continue to help us in Jesus' name. The second thing he said, love God with your soul. We all know that our soul is where our willpower, our emotional life, and our intellect resides. So this leads, when we love God like this, it leads to a transformed decision-making life. You see, one of the reasons why people grope is because people take wrong decisions. People take wrong decisions, and one wrong decision can cost you a lot. At times it costs you money, at times it can cost a life, God forbid. Just one little wrong decision. But when you love God with your soul, you have a relationship, because you are born again, and you have a relationship, you hear God. As a person who is involved in many things many times, there are times that I have to respond to things in minutes, and these things could be life-changing for either me or the person I need to respond to. At times I have to give technical decisions for projects that are miles away from where I am. And one thing I can say can put everybody in trouble or not. And, I need, and a decision is needed in minutes. If not a quickened mind that can hear from God, it's very easy to make mistakes. Those of you that are in, in the health sector, you know one wrong drug can just cause problem. You know it's just administered wrongly. I'm not in that sector, but you know I know much about the sector. <laughs> Hallelujah. We did that degree together, got the certificate together. We are still practicing together. I told her one day they should put my name C H R M N H. I'm a chartered engineer, but by my association with you, my wife, I've become <laughs> registered mental health nurse as well. <laughs> Hallelujah. But this is the reality. Every profession, every profession puts a demand on you. And many times, even those of us who teach, those of us who are involved in education, in the world, the global stage has changed. Everything is now pressure, pressure, pressure. You need to understand. Listen to this. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, which we read a lot. He said, do not be conformed to this world. Don't try to do it in your own strength. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may do what? This is why we don't usually read. Let's read it together. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in everything. In everything. There is a good, there is an acceptable, and there is a perfect will of God in everything. When you take it, you never can go wrong. But it takes a quickened mind. It takes a lover of God, a prayer, a prayer warrior, a prayer intercessor, an engager with God, one who worships, a worshiper. It takes one who studies the word of God. The Holy Spirit never speaks anything outside the word. Never. This is why many people cannot hear the Holy Spirit. I went to a country... Just last month, well, two months now, December last year, Germany. And uh, the further away I moved away from, I went, I landed in Dusseldorf. And the further I moved away from Dusseldorf, English was vanishing. I don't know what will happen after Brexit now. Maybe even in the Dusseldorf, they will remove the English. <laughs> Every sign was in German. And I was time pressured. I needed to catch a particular train to where I was going because they were waiting for me, about 30 people. 
And I was like, Lord, help me. Everywhere I looked was languages I could not understand. I wish one of my children that could speak German was there because that would have made life easier for me. But here I was, and uh, I said, what do I do now? So I grabbed one lady that seemed not to be as hasty as I was. <laughs> I grabbed her, I said, can you speak some English? She said, little, little. I said, let's speak that little. I'm very desperate now. <laughs> I said, I go from here to there. <laughs> She said, take, because I looked at the screen to buy a ticket, I just didn't even know what to buy. I don't know what to press. As if I press this one, it takes me to another country now. <laughs> what do I do? Because it's a language. It's a language. The Holy Spirit has a language. It's called the Word of God. Until you learn that language, you find it difficult to hear from the Holy Spirit. So you need to understand, most of the time, he will just remind you. We read that from John last, uh, last time, from John 14, 26. He will just come, the comforter. He will remind you of the things which the Father has said. So we need to have our decision-making enhanced by the love of God. Our emotional life. A lot of people are not emotionally stable today. Happy today, sad tomorrow. Angry tomorrow, sad the next day. That is not the will of God for your life. God wants you, the Bible says, he will keep you in perfect peace when you put your trust in him. Your emotional life, people call it, the, the psychologists and the worldly system, sociologists call it emotional intelligence. There can be no emotional intelligence in sincerity without God. It takes God to give you the ability to maintain mastery over your emotions. When somebody sends you an email and all your hair is standing up like that, you want to reply it, fireworks. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes and says, calm down. Calm down, calm down. Don't write it now. Don't write it now. Or somebody sends you a text message and you have picked your phone. You hit reply. And always says, calm down, calm down. You are, going to, you are going to say things that you do not like. Then you stop the text. Then the Holy Spirit say, just say to them, I'm sorry. You say, ah, no way. I cannot tell them I'm sorry. <laughs> but anybody who knows the workings of God will just say, I'm sorry there. And it quells the fire. Because your emotional stability in life depends on the empowerment of God. He said that you may prove always what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then your intellect, your intellect. Many of us must understand that we will keep being faced, being faced with situations that would put a demand on our intellectual prowess. Our ability to have sound reasoning. Our ability to think deep. We're having... People grow up now, brother, uh, mother's parents growing up now, and because of the rate of information that is pouring into the world, we are not able to cope. Those days, just about 20, when I say those days, just about 20, 25 years ago, any question a four-year-old asks you, you can answer. Not these days again. Some will ask you, don't just answer something by force. Say to them, son, wait for me. Tomorrow I will answer you this one. <laughs> Because what is coming out of some of their mouth is heavy. The knowledge in the world is increasing and doubling at a rapid pace more than ever before. Yesterday we were listening to the great servant of God, John C. Maxwell, at uh, the Bethel Convention Center. Lovely event, lovely event, we thank God. And uh, he was saying that, you know, just a few years ago, when you had 20-year plan, did you, hear, did you pick that up? When you had a 20-year plan, we say it's a long-term plan. Five-year plan, we say it's a short, medium-term plan. And a two-year plan, we say that's a short-term plan. And companies were running like that successfully about 20, 30 years ago. He said, but now, even a two-year plan is too long. <laughs> even a two-year plan, because six months, technology has changed, taking over everything. 
changed all your plans and put you, if you are in business and you cannot cope with the rate people are moving now in the technological world, you will be left behind. You will be left behind. If you do not have an app for your business and something that gets your business to people's phones, you're gone. You're not on social media. You don't have, nobody can pick it up on their phone, not even their computer. <laughs> you, 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 you put yourself at a class of those that are not ready to compete immediately because the world is changing. When I first came to this country and I started my consultancy practice, I used to have to travel every time to every site. So it was limiting, and most of my projects were in London. I used to, every time there's a problem or some question, I have to travel. These days, 90% of the time, I don't have to leave my bedroom. Don't tell them I do it in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't have to live there. I just say, put me on FaceTime. They, they put it on. I say, what is that? That is not what we said. <laughs> that's, not, that's not to go there. Look at the drawing number, this, this, this. Then they bring it out. They say, ah, we're very sorry. I say, correct it and show me again tomorrow. Then they will correct it and then they will put it back. They say, is that what it is? I say, now you are, now you are correct. 150 miles away. This is the world we live now. And so if, if I don't train myself for all my gadgets to talk to each other and everything wired up correctly, and all, I will be out of, I will delink myself from competition. Because people will do it. Why I'm based in Warsaw? Why am I able to do projects that they could give to people in London? Because I trained myself, developed myself by the power of the Holy Ghost and reading. I don't have time to read plenty of things. That's why most of my books, if I say, is there an e-version? They say there is none. It, that book is not flying with me. All my books, they're here on the cloud. They're here. So I, there's a book I want to, I remember Miles Monroe talked about something that quickens the mind. I go into it, I bring it out, the power of purpose. I start to read the chapter again, refresh myself. Or the Bible says something, I will read it. And when you live like that, because you have the ability to hear God, life is simpler. People ask, how do you do these things? How do you do these things? This is what Nicodemus asked Jesus Christ in John 3. He said, how do you do these things? He said, for no one can do these things except God be with him. Read it in John chapter 3. No one can do these things except God be with him. And then Jesus said, except a man be what? Born again. Unless you love the Lord with your heart, you love the Lord with your soul, you cannot do those things. Let us leave the realm of ordinary men and live like God as we ought. And may God continue to help us in Jesus' name. Finally, loving the Lord with your mind and strength. I told you the word mind and strength in this context look much more to the physical. This depicts our creativity and labor. Philippians chapter 2. I'm giving you scriptures I'm sure you know, but I want you to think about them in the context that we are discussing, as I always say. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It says, for it is God who works. Read it with me. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without a fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Bible says you and I are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. He said, but do all things. If you want this God to help you, go back to verse 13, please. He said, for it is God. 
So love God. Love God. It is him who walks in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We talked about willpower submitted to him, but we didn't talk about doing. Your ability to do, the energy you have, the physical ability you have, the grace that you have to be able to do is from him. He is the one that walks in you. And so it comes from a loving position. Love always involves giving. This is why God said, God loved the world, and then he gave. Many of you here who are married will know that if you keep telling your spouse, I love you, I love you, especially the men to the women now. You know, honey, I just love you. Oh, I just, you just look great. I just love you, love you. They are hearing it. But one week, you, don't, you, you have never given anything. One month, one year, one day they will say, keep quiet. <laughs> prove, prove that love. Because love is always demonstrating something that he gives. Now, of course, wives give things to your husbands as well. But I'm only just saying that the reality is that we don't say we love with mouth. When we say we love this God, what are we giving to him? How much of our life has he really taken? When we say we are lovers of God, what are we truly doing? And so we must understand it is God that works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want to conclude by saying this, and we'll break bread this morning. Loving God is not about a carnal demonstration of spiritual or ministry gifts. That is a mistake that we need to correct in the body of Christ. Many people think by doing things, acts of service, and living anyhow means that we love God. 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 1 tells us that that is not right. It said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become what? A sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Somebody say, God forbid. Verse 2. He said, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, people know that I can remove mountains. He said, but have not love. I'm nothing. Somebody say, God forbid. Verse 3 says, and though, and though I, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Somebody say, God forbid. We can do all those things and then and demonstrates everywhere. And people say that man is a great man. Oh, that person is a great person. But if our hearts are not right with God and are not really truly loving or even loving people for what, who God has made them, not because of what we can get from them, then it profits nothing. It's not an outward show of activity, but it is a genuine expression of devotion to God. Devoid of any carnal motive. So many preachers have hung up their Bibles and their notepads and their, they have left pulpits today because people did not appreciate their teaching and their preaching and they gave up. People sent of God. I'm not talking about people who call themselves because if most people, when they call themselves, they decall themselves as well. <laughs> but people who are called by God, but because people were not responding, hallelujah, praise God. They gave it up. They said they don't love me in that church. So I know they say one day when you and everybody was complimenting his preaching when he started preaching, and then one day he went home. This was many years ago, around 1999, when he just started to pastor the church fully after his dad passed on. He said even his wife that would normally meet him and say, Joe, that was powerful. He said even the wife did not comment that day. So he was worried. Then he was looking around for everybody who is saying this message is good today. Nobody said anything. 
And for some strange reason, everybody, nobody said one word. And he was getting discouraged. He said the one that finished him was when he got home. Like, even his dog that would normally run to him and come and wipe his tail and be happy. When the dog looked at him, he just walked away. <laughs> he said, you too? <laughs> he said, then the Holy Spirit said to him, I, I did all this to you so that you can know that I am the one that validates you and not man or animal. That's <laughs> It's a story. I'm not uh, telling you anything else. We must understand. Some of us will, will, will do things and clean this place and, and do work that people don't even know and are not recognized. I've heard that all my life. I, I was born in church life, I can tell you. I, I've heard things. You say, why? You say that like, nobody recognizes me. Is it man's recognition you want or God's recognition? Say all these years I've been singing in the choir, I sing and sing, and when I sing, all the people will be floating in the air like that. <laughs> and nobody recognizes me. Nobody will give me a title. What do you want to eat with it? I do. <laughs> I think the problem with the body of Christ is that we have used titles so much that it has started confusing us. You see, the person doing very well, very, very well, and I'm not against titles, you know we have some titles here, but the reality is that titles have become a problem in the body of Christ. A brother, I've seen it many times, a brother doing so well, fervent in the Lord, then they gave him one title called deacon. Someone said deacon. deacon. And then now he becomes a bully deacon. <laughs> when he's talking, he says, what is my food? Nobody's having food here today. Deacon. Someone said deacon. <laughs> <laughs> he suddenly starts to see himself as what is not. That is wrong. Every title is made to help us function in the offices that God has called us. It's not to abrogate anything. If I have my way, there'll be no title in this church. Even me, just call me Brother David. But I know if you call me Brother David, some of you will not be happy about it. So call me Pastor David if you like. But the reality is that it is not about title. We, we are the ones that call Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul. When John and Paul, they were talking to each other, first names, John, Paul, Matthew, where are you? Let's go preach. He said, I spoke to Silas. I called Silas. He said, I called Apostle Silas. We are the ones that are calling them that so that we can remember they were apostles. <laughs> if you are doing the work, there is no chance for time to. There is no chance. Say, if you don't call me pastor, doctor, bishop, reverend, bishop, reverend, right reverend, apostle. In fact, now you call prophets. Ah, prophets, if you don't call them prophets. What <laughs> nonsense. Love God. Love God. Whatever they call you, whatever they don't call you, let God see that your work is genuine. Let God see that your service is valid. What will you gain if everybody in this world tells you you are wonderful and God says, I know you not? Let us love God sincerely. And then finally, it is impossible. I know that's my second finally, but this is the final finally. <laughs> it is impossible. You know, every message I preach in this, I've always told you, it's two messages or more in one. I just try so that we can get it into whatever time we have on Sunday to the glory of God. It is impossible to love God without loving people. Many will say, me, I love my God. I love my God. But as for those people, I don't have anything to do with them. You don't love God at all. First John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, let's read it together. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? This is not my word now. This is the Bible. He says, I love God. But he hates his brother. He is a liar. For let's, let's continue reading. For he does not love his brother. For, sorry, for he does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God 
whom he has not seen. It's very simple. Couples don't be tempted to be fighting each other and putting up a face outside. It's very common with our generation, especially in the body of Christ. I trust we don't have such here. But if you have such situation, please seek counseling. Too many believers are suffering in silence. Now listen to me, my wife and I have been married for four years. There have been some time that I was very rough. I mean, very, very rough. You don't want to hear about it. Very, very rough. But we're walking through. And we hold each other again and kiss each other. <laughs> you walk it through, we hold each other again and love on each other. Because the reality is if you keep allowing the acrimony and you keep separating and you keep letting the enemy have his way, you will begin to contribute to the kingdom of darkness much more than the kingdom of the God that we say we love. We must make our marriages work. I'm not saying if somebody's in a relationship that needs attention, they should not seek it. But really, friends, too many people are giving up unnecessarily. When you hear the reason, I don't like the way he eats. When he eats, he eats. And that thing gets my head. And because of that, you part your bags, you are gone. What is wrong with this generation? And then the one he marries next, now will eat two, 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 two. Let's rise to our feet and have a